Beautiful day outside. It's great to be together, assembled together to worship uh, our God and our Savior. Uh, reminders to you, if you have not silenced your cell phone, please do so now. Pick up communion in the back in the foyer if you have not done that, and our contribution boxes are in the back by the door. If you're visiting with us, we are honored to have you, and we welcome you to our services this morning. Uh, fill out a visitor's card in the pew in front of you if you don't care so we can get to know you a little bit better and uh, we have a nursery over here if you need it we have children's church you'll be dismissed to that at the proper time um, kindergarten to second grade three-year-olds to second grade okay so if you have a kid three years old second grade John will dismiss you uh, to go to that uh, about the only announcement I have to make is Welcome Diane Fannin, back there in the back. She was baptized this week. Uh, another soul added to the church. Appreciate that. Uh, would you pray with me, please? Father, we are so thankful for, uh, for your love, your, your many blessings that you shower upon us daily. And we are so thankful, Father, for the church here and for what it means to us and for the opportunity the ability that you've given us to assemble this morning. Bless us, Father, in our service today. Uh, bless us as we pause to remember your son and his sacrifice that he made on the cross for each of us. Uh, may we be edified by being together this morning and bless our fellowship and bless our worship to you. Watch over the many, Father, who are sick, who are hurting, many that we are concerned about, there are so many, Father, on our prayer list, many others, Father, who are not. Um, but please bless those who are near and dear to us. Uh, thankful, Father, for your word, for the church, your spirit, your son. We're thankful, Father, that we can be here to worship you today. Uh, bless us today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand for the first song, please? First hymn this morning, number 544. Hymn number 544 is redeemed. Redeemed. <clears throat> Here's time for 
Next hymn this morning, number 618, Sweet Hour of Prayer, 618. And after this hymn, Brother Greg Sullivan will have our scripture reading of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, that calls me from
Scripture reading for this morning is found in Ephesians chapter 4. It's Ephesians 4, verses 9 through 12. Now that he ascended, what is, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just come to you this morning. Thank you for this opportunity you've blessed us with to come here and worship you. Father, we just thank you for this time that we can come here free of ridicule and persecution, Father, and worship how we need to. Father, we just need to say thank you, first and foremost, for the week that we've had as Christians. Father, with the Supreme Court decision that was overturned, and Father, just brought glory and honor to your name, and Father, we just, it wouldn't have been possible without you. Father, we are in the midst of some unrest in this country, and Father, we just, we need you. We need to look to you for the guidance and strength we need. Um, for these troubling times. Father, just thank you for everyone that's here today, and Father, the ones that couldn't be here, whether they're sick or um, shut in, or whether it was by choice, Father, just pray you watch over them, bless them, bring them back here whenever um, it is appropriate for them to return. Father, just thank you for all that you do. Be with us as we go throughout um, our service today. Forgive us the sins we've committed. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Next hymn this morning, number 203. Hallelujah, what a Savior. 203. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Poetry is a, a wonderful invention of the language. Someone once said, poetry is language at its most distilled, down to its core, and most powerful. I grew up hearing, poetry says much with very little. We have figures of speech that help us do just that, to compress the language. Metaphors, simile, irony, personification, things of that sort. And these figures of speech add richness to the description. They enhance understanding through comparisons. They elicit emotions. They create visual images for us that just plain words do not. See from his head his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? You will recognize that, most of you will, as the third verse of uh, Sir Isaac Watts' song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. In the first verse, he talks about how uh, this wondrous cross compares to what I have to offer. And he concludes that verse by saying, he pours, that comparison pours contempt on everything that I have to offer. It's another visual image, pouring contempt. You don't usually hear those two words together. Verse two, all I hold dear in this life, I sacrifice to him and his blood. Verse four, this demonstration of love demands that I return with love my soul, my life, and my all. Watts could have said, blood came from three wounds. It's not very poetic. It's not very uh, image-provoking. Uh, he chose sorrow and love flow mingled down. We've just been asked to picture in our minds to see Jesus on the cross, see his head, see his hands, see his feet. Blood flowed down and fell to the earth. The poet asserts that it was sorrow and love. Sorrow. What was sorrowful about that sacrifice? Or at least one thing was God sent his son to come to this earth and die for those who ended up crucifying him on the cross. Irony another tool or device of the poet. Love. Jesus knew from the beginning of time and for sure in the garden what he was about to face. To quote the apostles after he calmed the storm, what manner of man is this? The love that Jesus and God displayed in this life and in this event cannot be overstated. No matter how we describe it, not even hyperbole, figure of speech meaning a, a, a extreme exaggeration could be involved. You can't overhype the sacrifice that Christ made. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Nope. Not in the past, not at the time he did it, and never will we see that again. This was a one-time event, a one-time-for-all 
time event on behalf of all mankind, an expression of love that no matter how hard we try, we cannot fully comprehend. Let us give thanks for the bread. Father in heaven, as we gather at this time to specifically remember the sacrifice of your son, we do so with humble hearts, with our thoughts on him, knowing that we don't deserve what you and he gave up in that offering and in that sacrifice. We realize, Father, that without that sacrifice, we would have no hope in this life or the one in the next life as well. We ask that you bless this bread that, was, that represents the body that was given in our stead on the cross. Be with us as we would take. Help us to focus our thoughts. In Jesus' name we pray. Pray again. And Father, for that precious blood that flowed from his head, his hands, his feet, and then the blood mixed with water later from his side, we give thanks also. The fruit of the vine which we are about to take is representation of that blood that he offered on the cross, represents that blood. And according to the way he set it up for us, we at this time ask you to bless the fruit of the vine and bless us as we partake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This concludes the Lord's Supper. Um, we take this time to remind uh, everyone that uh, we have receptacles at the back of the auditorium. And I'll say a few words about what those are for. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, to provide a little context, uh, Paul regularly, as he traveled around visiting the churches and establishing churches, uh, would revisit those churches or contact them uh, with a letter and uh, ask them to give to the support of others who were either uh, facing greater persecution than they were or uh, who were less fortunate or who simply did not have the means to provide for themselves. Uh, Christians help others individually and collectively, and he was asking them to do that for, uh, for, uh, for those individuals to, to give of their means. The free will offering uh, that we do uh, is established on the first day of the week in 1 Corinthians um, 16.1. It's for that purpose of allowing congregations to do what they do um, and to uh, uh, carry out the work of the church. 
to preach the word, to edify its members, and to provide benevolence for those situations that are needed. So 2 Corinthians 9, 7 talks about how we are to do this or what our attitude is in that regard. And it says, let each one of us do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, the work here and elsewhere all, uh, depend on the funds that, that we provide here at this time. You should not feel compelled to do so. It says to purpose in your heart, so it, there's a plan involved, that's not what you have left over after the weekend or, or uh, what you have in your pocket. If you feel compelled to do this, you probably shouldn't be doing it. God loves a cheer, cheerful giver. He did not like the offerings, the sacrifices that the Israelites gave him when he said, yet their hearts are far from me. So our attitude in doing this is important as well. We're supposed to do it cheerfully. I am happy to do what I can to help this effort, effort in the congregation here to carry out its obligation to spread the word, to edify or build up its members, and to attend to our benevolent actions for others. So, if you will, put your place your contribution in, in, in the back on the way out. And this is for the members of the congregation, uh, not for visitors. So, uh, let's pray before we do that. Our Father in heaven, uh, be with us as we give. Help us always to uh, be of a giving state of mind. Help us to uh, love giving and helping our situation here and helping others. Help each of us to do what we can to support the work here. And we do so as we give back a portion of what we have earned in this world. We ask your forgiveness of all of our sins. And we do this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 564. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. We'll sing the first three verses. So at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us.
the invitation in this morning. Number 777. Whosoever heareth. 777. Brother Christian. Good morning. It's good to see each one of you with us this morning. Uh, we had a fantastic trip to the Ark yesterday. If you uh, weren't watching my Facebook posts, I posted a couple of times. I think it was 10 or 12. Um, about that so you can go back through and, and read those posts and that's kind of what I did because if, if you weren't able to go with us I wanted you to be feel like you were there with us and and learn some things I think that's a learning opportunity but we've had a busy week haven't we we've uh, we've done the service project Thursday out here painting the, the mailbox that was great uh, we've had movie under the stars Friday night that was awesome we did the arc yesterday that was fantastic today if you're visiting with us on the last Sunday of every month we do a fellowship meal uh, and so we're going to have lunch together after our, our time uh, here has ended. We'll, we'll go over to our, our cafeteria next door and uh, just down the hall and, uh, and have lunch together. Then we'll have a 1 p.m. service. Then we'll have some service projects. So this is a, a big week for us, and we're, we're happy we get to do all these good things uh, that, we're, that we've been involved with this week. Um, I have four kids. So we watch a lot of movies. We watch a lot of animated movies. So if you've never found Nemo, maybe this uh, illustration won't hit you. But if you've ever seen Finding Nemo, I bet you'll understand. You remember Marlin, the dad? Uh, he's a clownfish, right? And so he lives, as a lot of clownfish do in actuality instead of animation, but in actuality, many clownfish live in this sea anemone. It's not just a fun word to say, anemone. It's also a stinging flower-like plant that grows in the ocean. For most animals, it is toxic. Uh, it's paralyzing. But for whatever reason, the, the clownfish isn't affected by the toxin that the sea anemone uh, produces. And so the clownfish is able to live inside the sea anemone... And it, this sea anemone protects the clownfish. And so this is a relationship that these two animals have. They coexist in this way. The clownfish is protected by the sea anemone because you can't get close to a sea anemone. Much like a jellyfish, it will sting you. And so this encourages predators of the clownfish to leave him alone as he resides in the sea anemone. But it also works out well for the plant, too, because the, the clownfish fertilizes the, the, the plant. It also keeps parasites away from it that might hurt it. This is a symbiotic relationship. It needs both of them. Uh, in fact, sea anemones that don't have clownfish living in them struggle. I, I think that's so interesting. Um, the, clown, the, uh, the sea anemones that have clownfish living in them, grow faster, they reproduce at a higher rate, and they have a lower mortality rate than those without clownfish. Isn't that interesting? You didn't know you were going to learn something from Finding Nemo, but you did. And so that's, that's interesting, right? But what I'm so interested in is the relationship between these two beings. They need each other, don't they? They need each other to thrive. They can do life on their own, right? A clownfish can live in the ocean without... A sea anemone, Marlin did it in the animated version. It's dangerous, right? Things could go poorly for the clownfish outside of the sea anemone. So it's safer and better and he thrives in the sea anemone. 
but he can do life on his own. It's dangerous and it's not as good, but he can do it. The same thing's true for the sea anemone too, isn't it? The sea anemone can do life without the clownfish, but life is better with the clownfish. He thrives in this environment. You can do life without the person sitting down the aisle, the person sitting across the auditorium from you today. You can do life on your own, but you'll never thrive on your own. You only thrive together, right? You only thrive, as a congregation, you only thrive, we only thrive together. We can do it on our own, but it's much more dangerous and it's much harder to do it on our own. You only thrive together. Back in 19, back in the early, before I was born, back in 1953, uh, Mount Everest had never been climbed. It was the unassailable mountain. You could not climb this thing. In fact, back in 1929, a pair of climbers had attempted it. Several climbers had attempted it, but these two in 29 had attempted it and were never seen from or heard from again. And in fact, by the time Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay, his Sherpa, mounted uh, summited uh, Everest, they kind of expected to see possibly evidence that someone had been there before them. This, this crew, this company, these two men that had tried to summit Everest in 1929, they expected to find evidence maybe of their, their trip or maybe even evidence at the summit of Everest, but they didn't find anything. Before, what's so interesting about this illustration is before Sir Edmund Hillary and his Sherpa Tenzing Norgay go up to Everest, before they ever start their ascent onto this incredible mountain, they're kind of showing off among several other people, just kind of showing off their abilities. And, and they're climbing this icy wall is how it's described. I, I haven't gotten to see pictures of it, but uh, apparently uh, Sir Edmund Hillary was, was coming back down the wall and he slipped and he fell into a crevice. Now, the crevice is quite deep as they can be in that part of the world. Uh, and he would have fallen to his death except Tenzing Norgay, his Sherpa, and he are tied together. Do you know how that's how mountain climbers climb mountains? I think that's crazy, right? If you fall, I don't want to fall. <laughs> you tie yourself off to the mountain, right? Here's why they don't do that. Because it would tire you out to carry all the equipment that it would take to tie you off to the mountain. So the safest and the most economic way to do this is to tie yourself off to each other. Now what happens if I'm tied to you and you're going up a mountain? What, what are you thinking if you're tied to me and we're going up a mountain together? I'm watching you. And if you, if you slip, if I see some rocks coming down, what am I doing? I'm setting so that we're not going to fall down the mountain. We depend on each other, right? That's how we thrive. Uh, if the Sherpa hadn't been there that day and had not been tied to Sir Edmund Hillary, you wouldn't know his name. He would have died before he ever got on top of Everest. We need each other. We thrive together, right? This is a series we're calling Lost and Found, and it's we're talking about some of the things that we, we lost over the last couple of years and maybe some things that we've, we've found 
over the last couple of years. One of the things that we lost and, and hopefully that we found is fellowship. Grab your Bibles, turn over to Acts chapter 2. Acts 2. This is where we're going to spend our, our time this morning. Acts chapter 2. So if you're not familiar with the, with the setting here, just to provide you a little bit of context, what's going on in Acts chapter 2 is the church is brand new. Um, Peter has convinced the people there on the day of Pentecost that they are the ones who are responsible for murdering Jesus. He's convinced them that Jesus is God and that they killed him and that that is on their account, that God's going to hold them culpable for that. And so they want to know logically, how can that mark be removed from us? How can we not be held accountable for this? Can, is there forgiveness possible? And Peter so that's good news, right? Peter says, absolutely, there's, there's forgiveness possible here. You need to repent. You need to be baptized. Have your sins washed away, and then you're clean. And it's like you never sinned. That's what justified means, right? Paul talks an awful lot about justification in the book of Romans. An easy way to remember what justified means. It's a big word, right? We don't, we don't talk like that very often. So maybe you're not familiar with the word, but justified, an easy way to remember it is just as if I'd never sinned. That's what the people on the day of Pentecost were looking for. They were looking for a way to get this infraction, this incredible sin, off of their account. How's a way to, to balance this sheet how, how can I not be held accountable for this? Peter says, well, there's one way, and it, it's good news, but there's one way. You repent, and you're baptized, and, and those sins are gone, just as if they had never happened. You're justified. Now, fast forward. We're not exactly sure how long, but Acts 2 takes the span of several months, if not a couple of years. <coughs> So fast forward a little bit in time, the church is thriving. You know why? Because they're together. They're relying on each other. They understand in the first century that they need each other. Do you remember that first Sunday when we all came back after quarantine? Do you remember what the singing was like? You know what the singing was like? We were all wearing masks, right? Was it not the best singing you'd ever heard? That was awesome, wasn't it? And then when we finally got to take off the mask and everybody could actually sing and be together in that first fellowship meal, do you remember that? Oh, how awesome was that, right? When we were in Scotland, uh, we got to be a part of their very first fellowship meal back from COVID. Uh, and we got to experience the same thing all over again. It's just this euphoria of being together again because that's how God made you. He designed you to be in community, to be in relationship with someone. Now, who you pick to be in a relationship with just might determine where you spend eternity, right? We thrive as a church together because we're God's people. We rely on each other, right? Let me show you. Acts chapter 2. Let's start in verse 42. Acts 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
So who's the they, first of all, right? It's, it's the early church, the thousands now that have been added to the church. On, on the day of Pentecost, about 3,000 people were added to the church. More are coming in every day in the book of Acts. Even in Acts chapter 2, you read through it this, this afternoon, um, and you'll see more and more people in, in the thousands throughout the book of Acts are added to the church. But you see even additions here in, in Acts chapter 2. But the they is, is this early church. These people who are sold out for Christ. These people who are devoted. What's devotion mean, you think? It's another word we don't use just a ton, do we? So what's devotion mean? Now, maybe, maybe, maybe it means like a singular focus. Something that you're willing to sacrifice everything else to have, Right? It's something you spend an awful lot of time on. I can guarantee you that. Devotion is one of those things that maybe it comes in degrees for you. Maybe, maybe it's really hard to pin down exactly what devotion, how you would define that. But if you're devoted to something, you know that you're devoted to that thing, don't you? How do you know that? You spend a ton of time doing it, don't you? You spend a ton of time thinking about it, don't you? If you're devoted to your spouse, what's that mean? Well, they're the one and only, right? They're it. If you're devoted to your job, what's that mean? Everything I think of, (coughs) at least a lot of what I think of, is this job. I'm devoted to it, right? Devoted to your family. What's that mean? You're focused on them, right? This is a, a rhythm that you regularly return to. This is something you do a lot. So what was the early church devoted to? Well, they were devoted to several things, right? In Acts 2, 42, he he enumerates some of those things. And I think it's so interesting that that Luke does it like this. Luke is obviously the one who writes um, Acts. But it's almost like Luke can see into the future a little bit, and he knows that something special is going on in the first century. And so he wants to record it for posterity's sake, because I wonder how much he thinks, certainly God knows, that in the future, this devotion to these particular things is not going to be as strong or as regular as it is in the first century. And so the church doesn't thrive like it does in the first century. Does that make sense? If we do what they did, we get what they got. Right? If we do what they did, what did they do? Well, they were devoted to a couple of different things. If we're devoted to those same things, we get what they got. They thrived. Right? We want to thrive. How do we thrive? We only thrive together. We're like a couple of mountain climbers who are tethered together. If you fall, I fall. Right? We're like a sea anemone and a clownfish. We have a symbiotic relationship. We feed off each other. And we're good for each other. Because I need you and you need me. We need each other. We live best in community. We thrive only in community. You can do life on your own. But you shouldn't. It's hard, right? 
Can you be faithful all by yourself? Probably. Maybe. Should you? Absolutely not. You need the church, and the church needs you. That's the only way we thrive. And so let's look at what they were doing that helped them thrive. These things that they were devoted to, the things that they were focused on, the things that they spent a lot of time doing, these regular rhythms that the church was involved in. What were these things? Well, one of those things is what we're talking about today, obviously. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? So every day they were together learning how to be saved? Well, no, right? That, that wouldn't make any sense. They were most likely together every day figuring out how Jesus' covenant between him and them affected every aspect of their lives. How it affected their friendships. How it affected death. How it affected life. And everything in between. So they were devoted to, to that. But for our purposes this morning, we have to go past that very quickly. And, and see that they were also devoted to fellowship. What's that mean? What's it mean to be devoted to, to fellowship? I mean, you guys really like fried chicken, right? There's probably some fried chicken next door. Is that, is that what we're talking about, devoted to fellowship? Because a lot of times I think when we hear, oh, you're devoted to fellowship, you're devoted to eating, <laughs> right? You're devoted to the fellowship meal. Maybe when we hear fellowship, that's that, the idea of a meal just kind of comes right along with it. It's more than that. It's got to be more than that, right? These guys were not devoted to a meal. These guys were devoted to sharing life together. Let me show you the extent that they went to. Skip down a couple of verses um, to verses 44 and 45. Acts chapter 2, 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So what were these guys doing? They were sharing their money. They were sharing their possessions. Infinitely more important, they were sharing their life with each other, right? <clears throat> they knew each other well enough to know what each person was struggling with. And then they cared enough to step in and do something about that. In the early church, in this congregation in Jerusalem, so many people are going to be added to this congregation and they're never going to leave Jerusalem. They're just going to stay in Jerusalem when their jobs are across the country in Asia Minor or Asia, Asia Minor or Galatia or some of those other places in, the, in this area. And so they don't have incomes. Not really. They came for Passover because every good Jewish person had to come for Passover. They come to, to Jerusalem three times every year. Passover is one of those times. Pentecost is the other time. There's 50 days, a little over a month and a half that separates these two feasts. So if you come for Passover, it just makes sense in their day and age because travel is so difficult and it takes so long to get to places. You stay for Passover. You come for Passover, you stay for Pentecost. That's what happened this year when Jesus died. 
And so millions of people have funneled into Jerusalem's walls for Passover. Peter and the rest of the disciples stand up and they convince them that Jesus really is who he says he was. And he really did die. And you're the ones who murdered him. And how are you going to not be culpable for that? And they hear the good news. And so they come into the church. God adds them to the church after their baptism. He adds them to the church. And things are going so well. And they're thriving because they live life together. Right? But they don't ever want to leave. Can you imagine that? How cool would it be to upend your life for the church? That's what these guys did. That's how devoted they were to it. Nothing else mattered. Everything was based in, on the church. They had found the words of life and they were not willing to leave them. This was only in Jerusalem at this point. It's not like there were churches uh, all across the, the world at that point. They can't go anywhere else and find a church. And so they stay in Jerusalem. And they thrive together. Because they're together, right? They started learning each other. They knew where each other went, where each one was weak. They knew what each one needed. You know how you, how you do that? It's like we say... If we want what they got, we have to do what they did, right? So how did they do that? How do they know each other like that? Well, go back and look in verse 46. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts. They were together more than three hours a week, right? This wasn't a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Bible class, Wednesday evening Bible class thing for them. This was their life. They were together a lot. That's how we know people. That's how we thrive. It can't just be service times. Because you, know you, you know what you do when you just come to service times and never plug into the body here. You talk about the weather. You talk about sports. You talk about superficial things, right? We need supernatural things. We need power to live this life. We only get that together. We thrive together. These guys were devoted to fellowship. We need to be devoted to fellowship too. This word he uses here in Acts 2, he uses it throughout Scripture for fellowship. It's the word koinonia. You need to know that word, koinonia. He uses it several times to talk about a variety of things, but it's always in this sharing idea. It's always in this unity idea. It's always... A partnership, right? The Greek, the Greek um, first century world would use this to talk about this particular word koinonia. They would use it to talk about items that a married couple owned together. So say I walked into your house and I walked over to your table. I said, whose table is this? What would you say? 
well, that's ours. That's our table. I say, oh, okay. And I walk over to your plates. And I say, oh, who, whose plates are these? And you're like, what's wrong with you? These are our plates, right? They're a shared thing. That's what koinonia means. We share. We have a partnership. We're, we're together, right? Flip over to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's a very big fan of this. Uh, this idea of, of unity, of oneness, as was Jesus. You remember in John chapter 17, that's the thing that Jesus prays for. It's his longest recorded prayer in all of Scripture. And you know what he focuses on? Unity. I want them to be one. Do you remember the analogy he uses in John 17? I want them to be one, his followers. He wants us to be one like he and the Father are one. That's some pretty in-depth partnership, right? Because there's three beings in the Godhead, but there's one God. That's, that's the unity he expects his people to have. Together we thrive. Apart, we struggle. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Starting in verse 12, listen to what Paul says. To a congregation who are ripping themselves apart. A Corinthian congregation struggling because... One group wants one thing, and another group wants something different. And about seven or eight, ten different topics this is true for. And so there are divisions in this church, and that is causing them to struggle. They're not living life together. They're living life separate. Paul says, this is foolishness. You're, you're struggling for no reason. First Corinthians 12, life is hard enough on its own. You don't have to struggle here. Here we thrive. Here we, we, we love each other and we, we come together. We, we fellowship. We share. Listen to how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, and, and all the members of the body, <coughs> excuse me, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. He's kind of going through some of the stuff there that would divide people, right? These are, these are the hot button issues of his day. So he's saying, none of these things matter. Let me tell you what matters. We were all made to drink of one spirit. For one body does not consist of one member, but many, right? He says, you're unified. It's like you're a body. And so you need to know each other, the person sitting across the pew from you or the person sitting across the auditorium from you. You need to know them, maybe the Holy Spirit would say, like the back of your hand. How well do you know your body? You were looking down at your hand think, where did I get that bruise? Notice it pretty quick, don't you? Right? We need to know each other like that. And it takes more than just meeting at service times. We need to be devoted the fellowship, this idea of sharing, because we're together, and only together will we thrive. Right? You can live life on your own, but it's awfully dangerous, and it's hard, and it's not necessary. He didn't create you to live alone. He didn't create you, create your faith, your spirituality. He didn't create Christians to be alone. He created us to live in a body. That's the way he's going to consistently refer to us as a body. And so I need you. 
just like I need my two legs, and you need me just like you need your two hands. We need each other. We thrive together because that's the way he set it up. In Acts chapter 2, these guys were living life together. They were sharing their money, but also their lives. They were spending life together. They were doing life together, and that takes time. But you know the benefits of that. You thrive. Because then you've got somebody to hold you accountable, somebody to push you, and you thrive. Our life groups are coming up. Uh, I think we're going to start those in August. And this is going to be an excellent opportunity for us to thrive together. This is something we've been missing. And something that COVID absolutely shut us down on. We struggled so much. But if you remember when we came back, those first Sundays, the first meal, when we were able to all worship together, when we had two services and the 9 p.m. didn't see the 1030. And it was awful, right? But when we're together, we thrive. But it's going to take work. We do what they did, we get what they got. Let's thrive together. This morning, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, your sins are still on your record. God's still holding you accountable for those things. And it's not necessary. There's a way out. Just like the, just like the, the Jews on the day of Pentecost wanted a way out. If you want a way out, the way out, the way into safety is through baptism. Repent of your sins, be baptized into Christ, and have those sins washed away and no longer be held accountable for those things. Maybe you've already made the decision and you just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would want you to be. If you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing.
Good morning, church family. Hope everybody's doing good this morning. Uh, Chris, great lesson, brother. I appreciate you. Um, we've had a lot of activities, as Chris mentioned earlier. Um, a lot. VBS, we averaged 130, <clears throat> and that was a couple of weeks ago. Um, we had eight kids help little kids paint the, uh, the planer box that we put our mailbox in. The other one was rotten and needed to be replaced. We tried to teach the kids how to paint, but I think they got more paint on their shoes, um, on themselves, and in their mouths. Um, I'm joking. But uh, it, was, it was really fun watching those kids paint that, but we had eight kids for that. We had 24 people uh, show up for Movie Under the Stars. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And also, 21 people go to the ark. Um, and I know that seems like a lot of activities um, for our kids, but we want to give our kids options. You know, if they don't have options, maybe they're sitting at home playing video games or watching TV or watching Netflix um, or just playing with their phones. We're trying to give them options uh, to come to church, as Chris mentioned earlier, to make friends, uh, Christian friends, which as well as you, you and I know, can, la- can last a lifetime. And uh, that's one thing we're trying to do here at Rome and as a youth minister. Uh, potlucks today, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, I can smell it now. Um, so, and we'll have 1 o'clock service, no 6 o'clock service. Um, and then our service projects, if you got the bulletin earlier, it gives two options that you can do today. Um, Amber Payne will be knitting hats, um, so you can either do that or you can go door knocking with Marvin and Christy McAllister. They did that in Scotland. I'm sure they have a lot of experience to that, and they've been doing that lately around certain neighborhoods, uh, but they're trying to invite the community to church here at Rome. Um, Also, at 4 o'clock, I will be taking the bus to Strike Zone, uh, for the kids, uh, the kindergarten through fifth grade, so please get your kids involved with that. And um, update on the ladies' class, it has been canceled through the month of July. Um, they will start that back, uh, hopefully back in August. Um, also, uh, Sunday through Wednesday, July 17th through the 20th, we will be heading to Waverly, Tennessee for disaster relief. Um, there will be a meeting during the potluck, uh, Chris will be going over uh, what we'll be doing uh, for that mission trip. Um, but uh, if you can, if you're planning on going that, please sign up on the four-year board. Also, Wednesday, June 29th, will be another movie under the stars. We'd love to have you come. It's after our Wednesday devotional. Uh, we'll be watching the movie F- Family Camp. Uh, stars the two skit guys. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they're YouTube guys, and they um, just they're Christian comedians, but uh, they're really funny. Um, also, um, Fort Hill is next week. Um, a lot of our kids keep them in your prayers. They will be leaving Sunday uh, after services and uh, arrive at camp for a week. Um, it's probably going to be a hot. It's probably going to be a good hot one, but uh, the staff leaves that Saturday, so uh, keep all of us in your prayers, and uh, last year, it was, we had a great time at camp. Um, we had 13 baptisms last year at camp, so it is a positive thing that we do there. Um, also, uh, Friday, 
July 29th, we'll have the father and son camp out uh, at the Leaps cabin. If you can, sign up for that so that way uh, Leaps know and can have a record of who's attending that so they can plan accordingly for that. Updates on our prayer list. Remember to continue to keep Murda Calicoat in your prayers. She's still continuing having heart issues, so remember to continue to keep her in your prayers. Uh, Jim Haney still needs prayers as well as he goes through his treatments. Uh, Sandy Galloway received great news. I don't know if you saw on Facebook, but um, uh, they, uh, they found no cancer in her lip notes. Um, and uh, they said they got all the cancer, so that's great news. Um, God answers prayers, doesn't he? Um, Jennifer Baker, uh, remember to continue to keep her in your prayers as she continues the battle with breast cancer. And also, um, uh, Chad Judge's mother, um, Janie Judge, is, uh, is undergoing, uh, she has cancer, and she's going to be going through her treatments for a year and if they need to remove the cancer um, later on, they will do that. Um, but that's all the announcements I have. As a reminder, um, we have potluck. Everyone is invited to come and stay for that. And we'll have 1 o'clock service, no 6 o'clock service. Uh, we'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 236. We'll sing the first two verses of His Yoke is Easy. And after that, Brother Carter Thompson will have her prayer. I found my Lord and he is mine. He brought me by his love. I was heard it all my ears And well within my heart. His love is Lord, thank you for this day and for Chris and this lesson, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would be with all those on sick list and all those who only you know the name of. Lord, please be with all those who serve this country, Lord, whether it be uh, EMS, firefighters, policemen, military, Lord, please be with all of them. Let them always return home safely. Lord, please be with us as we depart from here. Let's go home safely. In your son's name, I ask this prayer. Amen. <laughs>